And welcome back. This is What's the Story? And we're talking with Tim Kreider. He is the author of a book called Refuse to Drown. And I would imagine drown is um, a pretty good word if you find out that there's a triple murder in the community and you find out that your son confesses to the murder, which is what happened with you, Tim. Uh, Alec is in a, a mental institution and he confesses to all the murders and they invite you to do the right thing. How hard is it? I can't, I can't imagine. You, you ultimately turned your son in. And at some point, did you consider not turning him in? Yeah, that was that was really the next, oh gosh, thirty six to forty hours was that mental, um, I guess, battle of what to do. I think ultimately, deep down inside, I always knew what I was going to do. The hardest part was just figuring out how you go about doing that in regards to dealing with it, because a parent's instinct is to protect their children. Absolutely. And I was overtaken with this immense guilt. You know, if I go forward, you know, what is that going to do to him? And that guilt ran into, gosh, where did I fail as a parent? Is this my fault? I mean, why didn't I get him help? I should have seen it coming. All those things are running through your head. But I had all kinds of crazy thoughts. I, you know, had been going to Philly even for a week. They knew me. I thought, gosh, I could break him out and we could get him out of here. I mean, all kinds of things went through my head. Uh, but ultimately it was, you know, my responsibility to the community, the Haynes family. I mean, they all deserve to know what happened. And for most of my life with my children, I've been told them how important it is to do the right thing. Now, what kind of example would I be if when the biggest challenge of my life comes along and I don't do the right thing? You know, if I don't step up and, and, and do that, that would just, it really, it, even though I had to go through that exercise in my head, there was really never a point where I seriously had said, I'm not, not coming do, forward. Right, I right, entertained right. all those thoughts, all those fantasies, all those different things. But every time I would entertain them, I came right back to, but you can't do that. You referenced Abraham in the book and yeah. the sacrifice that God placed on, on him. Give right. me your son Isaac. Yeah. Offer him up. Um, you also said something else in the book. I have to ask you. You said, uh, uh, Jesus, give me strength. And it struck me because I'm one of eight kids, and my mom used to say that all the time. <laughs> what happened to you? What did you experience when you, you said, Jesus, give me strength? Well, what happened is it was uh, Friday morning. I, as you said, eventually I went to the police on Thursday night, so less than uh, 40, basically 48 hours afterwards. And I had barely slept. I hadn't barely eaten or drank anything. Um, the night before Thursday evening, I was walking around the house. I ended up on the floor in a fetal position in my dining room, tapping my head against the wall, you know, talking to God, saying, I don't understand. Where, how can there be any good in this you know, for me, for the Haynes family, for Alec, for anyone? following morning, Friday morning, I'm laying in bed, and I am completely physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, I just, I'm defeated. Mm-hmm. I'm laying in bed, on my back, staring at the ceiling, just crying. See, I didn't have the strength or anything else. Lynn was there trying to comfort me. She was squeezing my hand. I couldn't even squeeze her hand back. I just laid there and cried. And um, I had to go speak to my attorney, tell Alec what I had done, you know, meet with the police, read them through my testimony. There's this laundry list of things to do. I couldn't get out of bed. And it was the first time in my life that I, I can honestly say that I admitted I can't do this on my own. I was a pretty confident guy, borderline arrogant sometimes. Thinking, you bring it on, I can deal with it. <laughs> I was broken. I mean, I waved the flag. I surrendered. I can't do it. I had nothing left. And I finally said, you know what? I need somebody else to get me out of this bed. I started to pray. I prayed to Jesus. I, I just need the strength for one more day. And I said, for Alec, for my family, for everyone else, I said, I, I just need to get through today. And I prayed it a few times and, and uh, said amen. And almost immediately, my face started to tingle. 
It moved up into my head, came down into my shoulders, into my you arms, my chest. Yes, yeah, a physical tingling. physical tingling in my body. Mm-hmm. And I get a little sensation that every time I tell this story, I feel this little like energy or tingling in my, my system. I moved down over my legs till my entire body was just tingling. And I started to shiver. I remember saying to Lynn, I said, I, I don't know why I'm shivering. I'm not cold, but it was just this right. incredible sensation. It lasted, I don't know how long it lasted, a few seconds, maybe more. And then it just went away. I said, thank you, I believe. And it came back in just another flash. And it went away the second time. I got stood up out of bed. I looked at Lynn and said, I can go help my son now. And I went and I showered. I shaved. I put on slacks and I shirt. I looked like a bum for a couple of days. I you was, were rejuvenated. I was rejuvenated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the point I met with my attorney later in the day. And he asked me if I was okay. And I said, yeah, why? He goes, well, you look great. He was... Yeah. You would have thought the next few days that I was in denial. I had a calmness and a strength about me was almost inappropriate. Were you in denial? No, not at all. I mean, I was knew what was going on, and that strength, you know, was there for a few days. And eventually, I would try and take the reins back and do it myself, and didn't do a very good job of that. So, I'm hearing you say you are because you look good now. You look great. You look at peace. You look serene. Yeah. Um, Is it because you're not doing it yourself? That That's a big part of me? it. I mean, I had to get to the point where I could accept what I'm able to or not able to do. And forgiveness is something I talk about a lot when I'm out speaking to groups. And when I finally got to the point where I could forgive myself for all the things I thought I did wrong and for all the areas I screwed up and accept that. As parents, we do that. Yeah, we when beat something ourselves goes up. wrong, we say, oh, I should yeah. have, I could yeah. have. It was, that was a big step. And then I was able to forgive Alec. And then the journey has just been really... It's probably a whole other 30-minute segment or more just trying to discuss the journey I've been on, but it's, it's been not surrendering things I can't control and really focusing at the end of the day what's important. All this stuff that happens around us, we make it really important and really big. But for me, at the end of the day, the most important thing is my relationship with God and how I behave and react on a daily basis. Everything else is noise. It's, it's, it's stuff we focus on, we get consumed in, whether it's you know what our spouse does or our kids do or how much money we have or don't have or all those things, it's... It's just stuff that distracts us from God and distracts us from taking care of ourselves and being who we can be. And I'm by no means trying to get a preacher. I'm not perfect at it. I have bad days too. But in general, I feel I honestly feel the best I've ever felt. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I feel in such a great space. Where is Alec? He is now in uh, Shemokin uh, Correctional Facility. It's actually called Pine Grove Correctional Facility, and it's uh, outside Shemokin. You detail in your book at length... Um the, the laws, I mean, it, it would seem obvious. And when I was reading, I thought, oh, well, there's an insanity. There's definitely an insanity plea. He wasn't right. Um, so not that he would get off, but there would be, that would be a consideration right. when it came to sentencing. It's not the case in Pennsylvania. No, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is one of the strictest um, thresholds to meet for mental health defense of any state in the union so did that make you angry you, you mentioned if had he been in new york he may be in a mental institution as opposed to yeah. prison i can't say it made me angry it was it, it is what it was so i mean it was just another thing to deal with another well mm-hmm. gosh you know well there goes that option so it pretty much made me resonate myself to the fact of what his life was going to be which is pretty much life in prison you know but no no shot at parole his current sentence is three life sentences without parole Three. Three. Three consecutive. Consecutive, he doesn't, yeah. not concurrent. Now, there is a Supreme Court ruling that indicated that mandatory life in prison without parole for juveniles is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So at some point, he may be resentenced, but that's a big maybe. 
And even if he is, that doesn't mean they can't resentence him to the same thing. You have come. You seem to have come to terms with his sentence, that he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Has he come to terms with it? No, not at all. So that's probably mm-hmm. the only rift between he and I. He's still pursuing some legal options that are taking him down a path I don't agree with. So he and I have agreed to disagree, and, and we leave it at that. You went on to get married. Yes. Um, was it a year after no, my happened? goodness, no, it was August. This all happened in uh, May oh, and June. Oh, three months later. Three, we were, I was engaged to get married when this all happened, and she married me anyway. <laughs> she stood by you. She did, for sure. And supported your efforts with your ex-wife, Alex's mother, yeah. to, to make all of this happen. Um, how did that... I, I guess I, I want to think that was a good thing for Alec because people wrote letters. Alec wrote a letter. And did you read oh, it at for the, the wedding? For the wedding, yes. That letter was uh, profound, and I yeah. thought, wow, it was full of like love acceptance. Th- did that shock you? Well, it, there really seemed to be two sides to Alec, and that was the side you look at and go, how could the young man who wrote that yes. have done what he did? Yes. And it, it was really a, a contradiction, and it was, yeah, it was kind of interesting to get that. Because I asked him, I want to be part of the wedding, so I asked him to write something for the wedding. Right. And um, that's what he had written. So. A pretty powerful letter. It was very powerful, yeah. Almost uh, accepting and moving on and forgiving, like he did that. Right. And so now you have done that. You said uh, a couple moments ago that you said to, uh, when, you, when you were on your knees at, at your worst, and you said, I can't do this. How could any good come of this? Why is this happening? Yet you found a way to make good come of this, and that's what you're doing right now. Correct, yeah, that's reason we wrote the book and we also started a website called also-me.org that idea actually um, came to me that friday morning when i got the strength to get out of bed i'm in the shower washing my hair just happy to open about and this thought pops in my head that i need to start a website for resources and motivational to help people out and i like almost said out loud you got to be kidding me i just got out of bed but in the same tone i was kind of rejuvenated we were running downstairs to Lynn and saying, I know what I'm going to do. And she, she reminded me later that I was still wet, just had a towel on. And I told her about, we're going to start a nonprofit and a website. And she said, that's nice, honey. Go, go back upstairs and dry off and get dressed. But, yeah, so we did that. I spent a lot of time and energy on that for a couple of years. It was, it was kind of an outlet to help me focus on something other than all the bad. And then eventually wrote the book, Refuse to Drown. And I go out and I speak and share my story and some of the lessons I've taken away and the feedback is absolutely amazing from people that have their own stories, their own tragedies, and your, the hope they get from what I share. Your book is very much a journal. It, that's where it originated from. And and um, was that part of your healing process? I mean, did you seek help to get through this, to get to the place where you are right now? Yeah, I, I did many things. Um, it was probably only a couple month or two after this happened, I contacted a, a place, started speaking to a psychologist. Mm-hmm. For me, it's, that was a safe environment you know, where I could speak about all I'm feeling and not burden Lynn with it or other people and just be honest and raw and, and broken, frankly. Was it hard to seek help like that? No, I'm, I'm really, I don't have an issue with that. because Some I, people do. They, they, that's a, a sign of weakness. They yeah, think. I don't differentiate our mental health from our physical health. If you're not feeling well physically, you go see somebody who can help with that. Um, I think mentally it's the same way. We get off balance. We have issues, whether it's your pastor or priest or another spiritual leader or a psychologist mm-hmm. i think we all need that sometimes and, and it's essential so for me it no i did it when i was going through my divorce i got some help and went and spoke to somebody so uh, what is also me all about well the name originates from something my youngest son said when he was little he used to say um, also me instead of me too <laughs> and i thought it was really cute and i yeah. told lynn about that 
So when I told uh, Lynn I'd like to start this, I said, what should we call it? And she almost immediately said, also me. And it dawned on me that was the perfect name because part of the big thing when I talk about is that none of us are alone. And if you're a room full of five or 5,000 people, you can turn to anybody and go, also me or me too. Sometimes I'm hurt. Sometimes I'm confused. Sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I don't get life. You know, whatever it is you're going through, everybody has or is going to go through something similar. So you're not alone. So the key to also me is they realize, hey, we all got our stories. So you're talking about the mucky something. muck that happens yeah, in anybody's and we life. everybody have it. And I, one thing I tell people is not to compare my mucky muck or yours with <laughs> anybody else's because, you know what, it's your story, it's your journey, and it's big to you. Don't compare it to somebody else's. Don't say I have no reason to be upset or depressed or angry because what I'm going through is nothing compared to somebody else because that's not true. It's your story. It's yours. I've heard once um, – just because you have a migraine doesn't mean my headache doesn't hurt. Exactly. And that's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. So it's not a comparison. It's There's no. pain in life. There are difficulties. Yeah. And I think each of us is our charge or our, our challenge is to deal with whatever it is in our life in the best way we can. And uh, so th- I can look at people and I see things happening all the time and go, man, how are they going through that? But it's their story. It's their journey. It's that's what they're going to have to come to terms with, just like mine is and whatever your story is. We all have them. So your suggestion is don't do it alone. Absolutely not. Or recognize not. that you're not alone. Right. Are you alone even if your story doesn't compare, you know, page to page with somebody else's? Absolutely not. And I, I think you're not alone because there's no matter what you're going through, somebody experienced that, went through it, came through it healthy and whole and conquered it. So if they did it, you can do it. Um, also, I don't believe alone because I believe everybody, no matter where you're at, no matter who's hearing this, there is somebody around you in your life that cares about you, will help you, who loves you. If you say there isn't, you're not looking hard enough. Don't use that as an excuse because that's the easy way to say, you know what, no, I'm all alone. I can't get any help. It's not true. Even if it's reaching out to a, a toll-free number or a website, there's always somebody, if you look hard enough, that will help you. And obviously, I shared some of my faith. I believe that there is a God that no matter where you're at, locked in the darkest room in the middle of nowhere, you're not alone. There's a strength there. One thing I just want to say about that is, to me, sometimes people say, well, I prayed and God didn't take away the pain. I'm never saying that God takes away the pain or takes away the people that are causing the pain. But you will get the strength to deal with what you're dealing with. And if you get that strength, eventually things will get better. Is that, again, the not alone thing? Yeah, uh, for me, absolutely, yeah, that we're not alone. And so you'll it's get not erasing sh- it. No, and I think if you expect that to happen, you're going to be really disappointed and get really angry. But look for the strength to cope with it and to move forward and find a path that is maybe better or that will get you through that. You have some very big takeaways from your experience, yeah. and you're sharing them with others. Uh, you talk about not being alone. Right. Making the right choice, not the easy choice, and forgiveness. Yeah. How integral is forgiveness to the whole picture? I think for me, and from what I've seen, I think forgiveness is probably one of the essential things to being healthy and whole. It doesn't matter. For me, I, it really dawned on me early, and probably in my early, mid-30s, when I realized how angry I stole my parents. And it was affecting my ability to parent. Because I was bringing that anger, that lack of forgiveness, that animosity, whatever you want to call it. I brought that into my parenting. When I finally realized that and let go of that and forgave my parents, all of a sudden I took a totally different approach to my children. And you see children stay mad at their parents. Parents stay mad at their kids. Siblings stay mad at each other. I mean, and what that does is that anger or that lack of forgiveness undermines your happiness. It undermines other relationships. It just eats away at the foundation of everything in your life. Because lack of forgiveness, like I said, leads to anger, leads to guilt, leads to animosity. If you want to get rid of all those things, 
forgiveness of others and yourself. yourself. It started with me accepting forgiveness and then forgiving myself. And from there, I can move forward with everybody else. Hugely important message. Very vital. Thank you for sharing your story so that we can learn from that and take part of that and make it part of our story. We appreciate that very much. This is What's the Story? Tim Kreider is our guest. The book is called Refuse to Drown. Uh, So I strongly encourage you to pick that up. It's a page turner. And uh, make The People Chronicles a favorite on your website. We'll be back with more. Great. Thank you. Thank you.